Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat. I'm catching on the hosel, right? Yeah, right, right. Moving my head. Yeah. Clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess. Four, please. Darren Pritchett is now broadcasting. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Right here on good old Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And, of course, we have all the fancy new ways of providing you our shows at WSBTradio.com and the WSBT radio app. Nine minutes after 5 o'clock on this Wednesday, June the 29th of 2022. It is currently 87 degrees with sunshine in downtown South Bend, Indiana. Tonight, clear skies, low of 65. Tomorrow, a little warmer, mostly sunny, a high of 92 degrees. Looking at the forecast put together by our pal Abby Whippler over WSBT News 22. Looks like this forecast for tomorrow will be the warmest day for the next week or so. Great to have you on board on this Wednesday evening as we take you over the hump, Budweiser's weekday sports beat on the air until 7 o'clock tonight. Once again, South Bend Cubs baseball will not start until well, about halfway through the 7 o'clock hour because the Cubs are in the central time zone taking on Beloit tonight. And the first pitch at 7.35, pregame coverage at 7.20. The Cubbies are going for their seventh consecutive victory. Well, coming up on the program this evening, we will update you on Notre Dame football recruiting. A busy, busy slash exciting week for the Notre Dame football program and for Irish football fans truly begins tonight. As tonight, Cam Williams, a four-star wide receiver in the 24 class, is expected to pick Notre Dame at 8 o'clock. That should kickstart an amazing next few days where the Irish when all is said and done, could be banking five players that are going to join the Irish that are currently in the top 200 in their class, whether it's 2023 or 2024. Michigan today just had another decommitment. They had a top 100 linebacker decide to reopen his recruitment, and Michigan right now is in absolute disaster mode after a terrific season you beat Ohio State you get to the college football playoff and their 23 class is nothing to write home about I believe they have fallen to 55 in the rankings right now for the class of 2023 while the Irish sit in the top two depending on which service you look at you know another program that's not having a great recruiting cycle LSU I saw an article last night out of the top 10 best recruits in Louisiana. And if you follow recruiting, you know Louisiana has some prospects every year that everybody is trying to take away from LSU. It's tough to get players out of LSU. Not impossible, but tough. Out of Louisiana, excuse me. 
Well, as of right now, according to the story I read last night, out of the top ten recruits in the state of Louisiana, one has committed to Brian Kelly, and maybe the best is just about ready to go to the Texas Longhorns. LSU right around 43-44 in the team rankings for recruiting. Does this surprise you at all? It's kind of funny in a way, but when Brian Kelly left Notre Dame for LSU, I don't mean to base my entire opinion of the situation on social media, but that is one way of getting the pulse of what fans are saying. Message boards is another way. Not the best way to gather information, but there were a lot of LSU fans making fun of Notre Dame fans. And LSU fans were acting like when Notre Dame fans were happy that Brian left or talked about his up-and-down recruiting, oh, it's sour grapes. You're just sorry that it's gone. Now you're criticizing him. No, we were actually, as a group, kind of telling you that there are some holes in Brian's coaching abilities. And recruiting is just not something that he's all in on. I heard a story today he's not that great at going into car washes either, but that's a story for another day. But this shouldn't be a surprise to LSU fans, but they all thought Notre Dame fans were just sour grapes. Oh, you're speaking badly of him now because he's not your head coach anymore. We got him. Ha, 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 ha. Well, now it's ha, 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 ha. Notre Dame fans to LSU fans. They're like, what's going on? And Orgeron was bringing in all these big-time recruits. We got this Kelly guy. Why is this happening? Well, look at the track record, my friends down in Baton Rouge. The Notre Dame family up here could tell you that there were good days in Notre Dame football recruiting under Brian Kelly, but there was always a bit of a disappointment. Not being able to reel reel in that big quarterback, kind of like Marcus Freeman did with C.J. Carr. Brian, what blamed unable to win a championship or take that next step because of things in the Goog weren't set up right. Well, it looks like Marcus Freeman's doing okay with recruiting, and whatever those things are that Brian talked about, the recruits sure don't seem to mind as they are flocking to South Bend and not joining the family down in Baton Rouge. So Michigan and LSU both scuffling right now. Michigan's a mess. It is a mess. I mean, you talk about not taking advantage of a wonderful season. Things aren't going well. And remember, we always felt like Notre Dame's one of their better recruiters was Mike Elston. Man, he brought in the defensive line halls. Right now, he's a part of that Michigan staff, and he's got to be thinking, oh, boy. <laughs> it's great being back in my alma mater, but what in the world did I just walk into? And you look up and see what Notre Dame's doing? Mm-mm-mm. Interesting. So we'll talk more recruiting in a little bit. We got the My Five question of the day on the way. Tyler Hork is going to join me at 6.07, the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Plenty to cover with Tyler. We'll talk about his experience going to Omaha for the College World Series. What's next for the Fighting Irish Baseball team? We'll talk football with Tyler. We'll discuss the state of the Notre Dame depth chart at running back going into the opening game against Ohio State. Tyler also recently had the chance to sit down with Irish head coach Marcus Freeman. We'll ask him a couple of questions about that visit as well as we talk to Tyler 
in about 50 minutes at 6.07 here on WSBT Radio. Sports wagering segment also coming up later in the program. A bad Monday, a good Tuesday. We'll recap Tuesday and bring you some of our picks for Wednesday. Coming up in the 6 o'clock hour on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The first pitch and the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Well, my first pitch to you today has to do with pitching and hitting and not throwing strikes and not calling strikes. I want to talk for a few moments about pace of play in the game of baseball because it got brought up this afternoon and it got me a little hot under the collar. Now, I've been on this program for a long time, and if you've listened through the years, you know I'm a big baseball fan. I know I don't root for the right team, according to a lot of people, and I get it. We're the evil empire of the National League, I guess, that team down by the arch, but I love the game. Don't miss a playoff game, whether my team is in it or not. Baseball is my soap opera. It's my days of our lives. It's my bachelorette. There's a lot less crying in baseball, Tom Hanks, fortunately, than the bachelorette. It's always been my game. And it's interesting to hear the constant complaints about pace of play in the game of baseball, bringing more action into the game. You know, I can understand the argument about more action in the game. I totally understand if you feel that way. There does need to be an increase. But for that to happen, there needs to be a change in the way baseball teams are running their philosophies. With the way things are run right now, strikeouts are not a bad thing. If you're an agent and you've got a player, what are you probably telling them? Hey, with two strikes, still try to crush the baseball. An out is an out in baseball now. And if you hit home runs, you're going to get paid. So don't just swing for home runs when there's no strikes or one strike. Heck, let her rip, baby, with two strikes. Leads to more strikeouts. The game has evolved in a very concerning way. But the game being played at a slower pace is very frustrating to me. First of all, if you're going to the ball game, I have never once said to myself, man, I wish this was over. I'm I'm ready to hop in the car and head back home or go get something to eat. Heck, I hope for extra innings. I love it. I get to the ballpark for batting practice when the gates open. I just enjoy sitting at the ballpark because it's like all of the other things in the world goes away. It's just you sitting there with a hot dog, nachos, your favorite drink, and enjoying a ball game with family and friends. Man, you can't beat it. So, Rob Manford, the commissioner of baseball, has been trying to quicken the game, and he has not been doing a very good job. He has not attacked the right things, including trying to... uh, Avoid all the catcher's visits or the shortstop coming in or the pitching coach going to the mound. You only get six visits a game. That's not going to change anything, and it hasn't. 
that has nothing to do with it. There are ways to quicken up the game. One of those Major League Baseball is not going to do. The easiest way to quicken up the game, baseball will not do, and I'll explain why in a second. But first, let me set this up. Average game length this season in the majors, three hours and five minutes. And there's a story that's out about Rob Manfred. He isn't the only one frustrated by baseball's slow pace. So are many owners. Yeah, the team I'm talking about I root for, yeah, my owner, who's a big Manfred guy, had this to say. William DeWitt Jr., the owner of the Cardinals, quote, The game has changed, and it has changed for the worse. The game needs fixing. It's just slow, end quote. Well, Mr. DeWitt, I'm glad you asked me because I can tell you why Cardinal games are probably lasting five to ten minutes longer than they should. It's because your front office has no idea how to handle free agency. There are seven guys they picked up in free agency or re-signed. All seven players are in the minus in war, wins above replacement. That means anybody on the planet in their spot will do better. They're helping the Cardinals lose games. Their middle relief isn't very good. So you know what, Mr. DeWitt? If you guys would open up the wallet just a little more and get more quality guys, I bet you games are going to be shorter because rather than walks and hits, there's going to be outs. Wow, what a novel idea. Fix that. But again, three hours and five minutes, the length of a Major League Baseball game this year. So let me take you back through a few numbers. The last few years, 2021, that was the season that featured the longest average time of a game at three hours and 11 minutes. 2020, it was 3.06. 2019, 3.10. 2018, 3.04. Let me take you back through history. In 2011, folks, 11 years ago, Games were being played in two hours and 56 minutes. In 2005, it was two hours and 49 minutes. In 1984, how old were you in 1984 if you weren't born yet? In 1984, Major League games were played in two hours and 39 minutes. 239. How about in 1978? Would you believe a Major League Baseball game on average took two hours and 26 minutes? 1951, two hours and 19 minutes. And the last year under two hours for a game, 1946, a Major League game was wrapped up in an hour and 56 minutes. So why in the world is this happening? Well, here's a couple of things. First off, there's a lot of money in the television industry. There's a lot of big bucks being thrown around as networks try to acquire the Major League Baseball packages. And when you pay big bucks to Major League Baseball for the rights to carry games, you offer a good amount of money to advertisers to purchase commercials for your radio or TV coverage. And come to think of it, If you're a network, you want to get in as many commercials as you can. So, folks, breaks in a major league game every half inning are two minutes. In a regular game, that'll happen 17 times in a ball game. I went to SIU Edwardsville 
I'm not a math major, but I can still figure this out. If you're adding two minutes to the game every half inning because of commercial breaks, that happens 17 times, you are adding 34 minutes to a ball game. Now, back in 1951, I guarantee you they were not taking two minutes in between innings. I honestly tried to look today how long they took between innings, and I couldn't find it. But those were the days, right, where they threw their gloves in foul territory, ran in the dugout, and we started playing. But now to ultimately get as much money as possible, we have two-minute breaks. There's 34 minutes, so... If you take the three minutes, I'm sorry, the three hours and five minutes on average a game is taking, minus 34 minutes, the actual game is only two hours and 31 minutes. I bet you that starts to line up with what we used to have in Major League Baseball, right? They didn't used to take that long between innings. So that's a major problem. But is Major League Baseball going to say, you know what, to ESPN, TBS, Fox, all the regional networks, marquee. In order to pick up the pace of play, we're going to shorten breaks to one minute. You're going to lose half of the money you're making. Do you think that's going to happen? Heck no. Get out of here. But there's the quickest way to pick up the pace of baseball. Not going to happen. But instead, the catcher going to the mound is ruining baseball. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Another major problem that's leading to longer games, pitchers, unless you're Kyle Hendricks and a few others, it's all about velocity. How hard can you throw? And the harder you try to throw, the worse your command is. What happens then? More pitches are thrown per batter. Longer at bats. Deeper counts. What are hitters trying to do? I just said they're trying to cream the ball. It's not like the old days with two strikes, you shortened up like Anthony Rizzo still does and put the ball in play. No, people are still swinging from their heels. So you have longer at-bats, more walks, more strikeouts, less action. The ball's not being put in play. We're having too many walks and too many strikeouts in a game. Whiffs have set a major league record every season since 2008. Walks are up to 3.5 per game. It was 3.27 the year before. Strikeouts are up. Walks are up. That's boring. That's not exciting. The ball's not being put in play. The game's slower because we have more walks and more strikeouts in baseball. Back in the day, you got a first-pitch fastball down the middle. You're putting the ball in play. You're hammering it. So catcher's visits are the least of our concerns. Something that would help the game that I think will come next year, the pitch clock. You have to throw a pitch within 20 seconds. The Cardinals have a pitcher in their bullpen, Giovanni Gallegos. I mean, he puts you to sleep. 27 seconds on average between pitches. That is absolutely unnecessary. And the final thing that would improve, pace of play in the game of baseball, Go to the rule book, look up the strike zone, and you tell me how many major league or minor league umpires call the strike zone the way the rule book states. Go to Four Winds Field the next time, stand behind home plate, and you watch how many times the strike zone is not called. Everybody calls it different. That's understandable. 
But a strike is supposed to be at the letters. That is called a ball 95 times out of 100. Strike zone's not called. And I told you at the start of this, I love baseball. It was a thrill of my life to call minor league baseball with South Bend from 2015 through last year. But I'll be honest with you. Last year was miserable. The Cubs aren't exactly rocket scientists when it comes to drafting and develop pitching. I'm not being a jerk Cardinal fan. I'm being dead honest here. I mean, look at their pitching staff the last seven, eight years. It's not exactly full of homegrown talent. They're just not very good at figuring out who to draft, who to sign, and then developing them into pitchers that can help them. It was miserable last year because I just couldn't believe South Bend pitchers could not throw strikes. We were last for most of the year in walks given up. And it just caused the games to be ridiculously long. I mean, we're talking three hours and 50 minutes, four hours for a nine-inning game. Okay, that's getting to the point where it's getting a little ridiculous. It sounds like the Cubs are a whole lot better this year in terms of pace of play. Talking to the broadcasters, the games are a lot faster this year. I'll bet you South Bend's a whole lot better in walks given up this year. I haven't looked, but I'm betting that's the case. But, folks, if we're going to try to make baseball a quicker game, shorten the TV breaks, Major League Baseball. Do you have the guts to do that? Otherwise, call the strike zone. And tell your teams enough of all the strikeouts. Put the doggone ball in play because if you add up the number of moments in a game that the ball is in play, you'll understand why I always tell people who ask me, which is more difficult, hockey or baseball? Baseball is more difficult. Hockey, I've got the names and numbers memorized. The puck gets dropped quickly when the puck goes out of play or there's an offside. We just keep going. Baseball... There's two and a half minutes of action in a game. The rest, you're telling stories. You're giving facts. It's a lot harder because sometimes in those 13-to-1 games, you run out of things to say in the seventh inning. So I have always said hockey is so much easier. I know people say, well, it's so fast-paced. If you know your names and numbers, you're going to be just fine. The most difficult thing about calling a hockey game is figuring out a different way to say the word pass. I'm not kidding. That's the most difficult part. Try to think about avoid saying pass for five minutes in a hockey game. And that's something that I've tried to learn to do. Doc Emmerich, the Indiana native, longtime voice of the NHL on NBC, who's now retired, he never, ever said the word pass. And there are websites online that show all the different ways he would say it. And I've tried to incorporate that into my Notre Dame hockey broadcasting. That's the hardest part, trying to avoid saying pass. Otherwise, baseball is a lot harder than hockey because there's just not that many moments in a baseball game where there's actually ball in play. So baseball, I'm fine with a three-hour and five-minute game sitting at Bush Stadium or your favorite Major League ballpark. But as a broadcaster, when you get to the four-hour mark on a nine-inning game, Keep the energy drinks coming, especially when nobody can throw a doggone strike. That is miserable. All right, that's our Sports Beat first pitch for today. 531 is your time. We'll come back with a Twitter question of the day next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It's a- this is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 
WSBT. Darren Pritchett back with you. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Wednesday evening, 24 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. This is our Twitter question of the day. It's a little something we do every day. Normally in the afternoon, I post a brand new Twitter question of the day. I posted today's just about, I'd say, an hour ago. So every weekday on the program, We remind you of the previous day's question, the answers, and the results. And then we offer that brand new question of the day. So first, let's take care of Tuesday's Twitter question of the day. Brian Kelly finished his Notre Dame football coaching career with a winning percentage of 739. I'm not going to take away the victories, the NCAA forced Notre Dame to throw away. It was a ridiculous situation by the NCAA. So his winning percentage is 739. So the question was, will Marcus Freeman, the new head coach, end up with a higher winning percentage than BK? So 73-9, the winning percentage. Better or worse for Marcus Freeman? We've tabulated the votes. Winning the vote was better at 64.6%. Worse, Scott, 35.4%. First off, I'll say this. A 739 winning percentage is a very impressive number. Considering how difficult it is to consistently win in college football, the parity, 739 is an awfully good number. That's going to be tough to top. Marcus Freeman, can he do that? Well, with the way he's recruiting right now, he's got one heck of a shot. I mean, one heck of a shot. I mean, every guy brings in, if you're into the star thing, is a four-star or a top 100 or 200 player. It's pretty impressive. So if I was going to vote, I will say better. I'm going to go... That Marcus is going to beat that 739 winning percentage. Again, that's a tough task. But with the way he's recruiting, with the coaching staff in place, this thing's rolling right now. Let's be optimistic. Speaking of optimistic, it plays into today's Sportsbeat Twitter question of the day. You can vote right now on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. Here is today's question. As of the end of June, this is June the 29th, I see the Fighting Irish football team falling into the 9-3, 2 record group. That's where I see them as of right now. I have the right to change as we get closer to the season. I have the opportunity to change on our pregame show leading into the Ohio State game. But right now, I see them a 9-3, type team. So, on our Twitter question of the day, you have three choices. Number one, do you agree 100% with that statement that I have? Choice number two, I'm way too optimistic. I'm a homa. The third choice, I'm way too pessimistic. Come on, the Irish are going to go 12-0. So as of the end of June, I see the Irish as a 9-3, 10-2 type team. 
What do you think? Vote right now on Twitter at 960SportsBeat. You agree 100% with my statement. I'm way too optimistic. I'm way too pessimistic. We will bring you the results on tomorrow's Budweiser's Weekday SportsBeat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on our free WSBT radio app. Thanks for voting yesterday. Looking forward to you voting once again today on my Twitter account. And I'm going to take a quick peek at the voting so far. Right now, one of the three has a a pretty good lead at this time. While the other two are neck and neck. Looking forward to seeing the voting play out on Sportsbeat's Twitter account at 960Sportsbeat. I'm Darren Pritchett. 541 is our time. When we come back, let's just reset the stage on what could be one heck of a Notre Dame football recruiting weekend. A recruiting palooza type weekend. And it all starts tonight at 8 o'clock. Details on the way as Sportsbeat rolls on on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Wesley off balance shot, no good. Atkinson put back. It's good. That's it. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Notre Dame in double overtime. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. Happy St. Patrick's Day, baby. Welcome back to Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It's in front of six o'clock on this Wednesday evening. Plenty of Notre Dame football and College World Series Notre Dame baseball talk coming up in about 20 minutes. Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter for Blue and Gold Illustrated. Read him at blueandgold.com. He's going to join me to talk about those topics here on WSBT Radio. Something worth watching. Tom Noy from the South Bend Tribune tweeted out a little bit ago that there is an expectation that Mike Bray is going to lose an assistant coach, and that assistant coach is Ryan Humphrey, the former Irish basketball player. According to Tom, there might be another coaching opportunity for Hump, so there could be a vacancy on the Notre Dame coaching staff. Again, that's from Tom Noy from the South Bend Tribune. He posted it on Twitter just a little bit ago that looks like Ryan Humphrey could be on the move from the Notre Dame coaching staff. 13 minutes in front of 6 o'clock from a Notre Dame football standpoint. Wow, this is going to be a very interesting next week. And it has nothing to do with things that are going to affect the 2022 Notre Dame football season. We're talking about the future. There is the possibility that five players ranked in the top 200 in their respective classes, 23 or 24, are going to pick the Fighting Irish. It all starts tonight, 8 o'clock, CBS Sports HQ, that CBS Sport Internet channel. They are going to have the announcement of Cam Williams, where he's going to play his college football. The leader is the University of Notre Dame. Cam Williams is in the class of 2024. He is a four-star wide receiver out of the state of Illinois, listed at 6'2", 175 pounds. 
The Irish are in the lead for his services. Other finalists include the Iowa Hawkeyes, the Wisconsin Badgers, the Cincinnati Bearcats, and the Michigan Wolverines. If Williams picks the Fighting Irish tonight, he will become the fifth member of the 2024 Notre Dame class, which right now, very early on in the process, is the number one recruiting class of 2024. Keep in mind, there are two top 50 players already in the Irish class, including C.J. Carr, the quarterback from Michigan. Williams would be the first wide receiver for Notre Dame in the class of 2024, and again, the fifth overall. That could start the dominoes, and they're going to start falling quickly for the Fighting Irish because tomorrow Notre Dame could get one of the best offensive tackles in the country, and that is Charles Jagashaw. He's a four-star offensive tackle, class of 2023, on 3sports.com. The recruiting service tied in with Blue and Gold Illustrated. They have this player as the number one offensive tackle in the 2023 class. He's from Rock Island, Illinois, listed as the 41st best overall player in the country, according to On3 Consensus. Notre Dame is battling Michigan for his services, and the expectation is Jagasaw will pick the Fighting Irish, and he would join an already stellar 2023 offensive line recruiting cycle for Notre Dame. They've already got Sam Pendleton, Sullivan Absher, Elijah Page, and Joe Otting. This would be five offensive linemen in the class of 2023. Two of those players from North Carolina, one from Arizona, one from Kansas, and Jagashaw would add Illinois to that particular list. More on the rest of these players who could come aboard. But first, I want to play just one soundbite for you in regards to this subject. Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider for Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. I asked him, is it realistic to believe or expect over the next week that Notre Dame could add five high-end prospects between their 23 and 24 classes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Cam Williams. Um you know, a, a big time 2024 wide receiver um, who we talked about earlier in the show. I like him to choose Notre Dame Wednesday night. Uh, Thursday morning looks like Notre Dame could get good news from Charles Jagasaw from Rock Island, Illinois. Um, looks like the Irish have a good shot of beating out Michigan. Um, Friday is Micah Bell, a uh, four-star cornerback from the Houston area. Um I think it's 6 Eastern time. Micah Bell's announcing his decision. Saturday looks like it might be a day off. And, and I think Notre Dame gets Micah Bell. I've got predictions in for, I think, all five of these kids from Atlanta Notre Dame, who I'm about to talk about. You had Williams, Jagasaw, Bell, fourth one, Charles, uh, excuse me, Rico Flores, July 3rd, four-star receiver from California. I like Notre Dame there. He has top three in Notre Dame, Georgia, and Ohio State. And he was scheduled to take uh, three official visits in June. And he only ended up making it to Notre Dame. The Georgia and Ohio State trips got canceled. That's kind of telling, in my opinion. We'll see. And Independence Day, Christian Gray, a very impressive cornerback prospect from St. Louis, who Notre Dame's been recruiting for over a year now. And 
Um, I, if I had a dollar for every time I've mentioned his name on, on your show, Darren, I, I would be rich at this point. You know, he, he is announcing between Notre Dame, LSU, uh, USC, and Ohio State. I, I, I've liked the Irish for him um, since I think uh, when we were at Rivals, I put in a pick last November for him to go to Notre Dame. So they could go five for five, all highly ranked prospects. I mean, Charles Jagsaw is the number one tackle in the country cherry on top of an already impressive offensive line class potentially yeah it's um it's sunshines and rainbows right now for Notre Dame on the recruiting trail everything I mean even though you have Dante Moore's recruitment you know that's the one we've been following for so long and um kept such a close eye on that one's trending away from Notre Dame looks like he's going to end up at Oregon which Darren we can dedicate a whole show to that one uh, at a later date but um even with that it's still such a Notre Dame's in such a good place recruiting. Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Those were his thoughts on what could happen over the next few days. So, again, Cam Williams tonight, the four-star wide receiver from Illinois, class of 2024. Tomorrow, the Illinois offensive tackle, four-star, 23 class, Charles Jagasaw. Then on Friday, you've got cornerback Micah Bell, a four-star in the 23 class, a very exciting wide receiver, Enrico Flores. Ohio State's been going hard after Flores. He's a four-star from the 23 class. He'll pick on Sunday. And then the 4th of July on Monday is when Christian Gray will make his choice. The 2023 four-star cornerback is high school coach, was hired by Brian Kelly down at LSU, but it sure looks like that Notre Dame is going to beat out LSU for the services of Christian Gray. All five players I just mentioned ranked in the top 200 in their class. Three of them are in the top 100. And as I mentioned, Jagasaw, the offensive tackle, is number 41 overall in the class of 2023 and many believe the best tackle in the country. You're talking about hitting the jackpot, finding that, Gold at the end of the rainbow. It looks like Notre Dame is about to hit it over the next week. If they go five for five, there's going to be a lot of excitement around the Goog, and Irish fans around the world are going to rejoice that Marcus Freeman continues to hit home runs. These aren't wall scrapers. He is hitting bombs way over the fence. 5.55 is our time. More sports speed is coming up in a couple of moments. We've got a Sports Center update. We'll update the afternoon baseball action. And then Tyler Horka from Blue and Gold Illustrated talks Notre Dame football and Notre Dame baseball right here on Budweiser's weekday sports beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Leading off the 6 o'clock hour on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Don't you guys go anywhere. Plan to put on a hitting display. The center fielder. That boy is good. Number nine. Nine times. Nine times. Nine times. A Midwest League champion. Adios! Walk-off home run! Eloy Jimenez! Who prefers to cheer for the birds on a bat. Adios! Goodbye! And maybe that's a winner! Here's Darren Pritchett. We move into the 6 o'clock hour. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser. Also by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, the St. Joseph County 4-H Fair, and Pet Refuge. 
Tyler Horka covers Notre Dame football. He's their beat reporter at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. He covers Notre Dame baseball, Notre Dame hockey, you name it. He'll jump in. He'll cover it. He joins me, as he always does on Wednesdays here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. And Tyler had a very enjoyable stay in Omaha covering the Fighting Irish baseball team as their magical season ended up in Omaha. They went one and two. I was kind of getting a little greedy after they beat Texas because, Tyler, once you win that first game, that's when I think you can really start dreaming, hey, you got a shot to win a national championship. You lose that first game, four of the eight teams, their chances are all but gone. I mean, it's a tough road back, but you win that first game, then all of a sudden you start counting the games you need to win to get to the championship series. It doesn't take a whole lot, but unfortunately they ran into some good pitching. And I would say, Tyler, maybe you'll agree, maybe you'll disagree. I'm not sure the Irish were as sharp as they had been at times throughout the season. Oh, they looked excellent in that Texas game, and I was right there with you after that 7-3 to victory over the Longhorns. I was thinking, man, if they can just get some good pitching from Austin Temple in that second game, then all of a sudden you're one win away from going off to the championship series. And, you know, they've won two out of three against some really good teams all season long, you know, just a couple weeks ago against Tennessee. So you had to be thinking really, really highly of the Irish's chances, but then – you know, like you said, pitching is what dominates in Omaha. And when they ran into Kay Horton against Oklahoma and he did what he did, I was like, man, it's, you know, tip your cap. And I think the Notre Dame players said that after the game. You tip your cap to a really good pitcher. Kay Horton pitched excellent. And that's why Oklahoma made it to the championship series. And then, obviously, in, a, in an elimination game against Texas A&M, they ran into a guy in Nathan Detmer who absolutely rocked in, yeah. his, in his first time out. And then he goes up and, and pitches – a gem by all accounts, you know, for, for what he is as a pitcher, you know, I didn't look at what he did before that game, but that was probably his best game of the season. And that's what it takes to win in Omaha. You've got to have best performances of the season in that environment, in that stage. And I don't think Notre Dame really got that from anyone, even in the Texas game, you know, Mm -hmm. John Michael Bertrand had to grind it out. Obviously Austin Temple didn't even get out of the second inning of his start. So you have to have everything go perfectly when you're in Omaha. And like you said, it, it, I mean, it wasn't perfect against Texas, but it was good enough to put you in that mind frame of, oh, man, what, what could happen here? But then everything can unravel pretty quickly, and we saw that against Oklahoma and Texas A&M. Now, I'm not being derogatory toward this team as I make this next statement, but I think I'm being fair. But if you took the eight teams in Omaha, you put all the players on the field and – Basically, like in our old days as kids, you pick teams and you start playing. I'm not sure how many Notre Dame players would have been taken very early on in this so-called draft I'm trying to put together. And that's not saying they don't have good players, but there's some high-end prospects there at the College World Series. There aren't that many high-end prospects on this Notre Dame baseball team. Now, players have to perform. They got themselves to Omaha, but I'm kind of heading toward Link Jarrett and this coaching staff. Tyler, can you put any sort of how much of an impact Link and his coaching staff had on the development of this team, putting them in position, and that allowed them to have success in so many games this year, resulting in a trip to Omaha? I think you make a really good point right there. I mean, look at that first game against Texas. You've got Ivan Melendez, (laughs) player of the year at first base. You've got 
a guy in Skyler Messenger, I, you know, I was standing on the field pregame, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that is a really big third baseman, and he can make all the plays. Trey Faltini's a really athletic guy at shortstop. If you were picking just, you know, if you lined up the Notre Dame roster and then you had Texas on the other side, I think you would say that team's going to win 7-3 to three or more, pointing at the Longhorns. And Notre Dame just kind of dominated them. They played a really clean game, obviously their best game of the College World Series. And to your point, absolutely, that, that all falls on coaching. That all falls on Link Jarrett. And this, just, this wasn't a one-game thing like, oh, look what they did against Texas. Look what they did against Tennessee. Look what they did against a really good ACC conference and almost won that for the second consecutive season in the regular season. And, you know, they were just really – consistent I think I think that's the thing that Jarrett brought to them was okay yeah they were playing at an elite level they had the second best winning percentage in the country in the last three years but once they got there they maintained that level of consistency they maintained an elite status and that is really hard to do and that doesn't come around without really good coaching Paul Maneri did it here at Notre Dame for about 12 years. If you go, you know, I know Link Jarrett in his introductory press conference at Florida State this week said, you know, we kind of did something at Notre Dame that had never been done. Well, Link, I mean, Paul Maneri took this team to the College World Series as well. And if you look at some of the seasons after that, they, I mean, I think they went to eight straight regionals. Yeah. They probably had some College World Series caliber teams in there that could have made another run to Omaha. But, you know, we were talking before we got on here, baseball, it's, it's really hard to put it all together. And, you know, it, it shows once you get into the postseason. But just the fact that Link Jarrett had this team on the verge of the College World Series last year, and they narrowly lose to the eventual national champion. And then they knock out the number one team in baseball for the entire year. Tennessee was the best team in the country. Knock them out on their home turf. They go and win a game in Omaha. Yeah, you can do that with elite players, but you usually do that with really special coaching. And, you know, Link Jarrett said after the Texas A&M game, I don't get all of these requests from Clemson and Florida State and all these people who want me to come coach their program if we're not doing really special things here. And it always starts at the top, and that was Link Jarrett. He's Tyler Horkin, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. At this point, Tyler, we have no idea who the next Notre Dame baseball coach is going to be. But how would you sum up the roster that awaits the brand-new head coach? Well, that's kind of up in the air as well. Obviously, there were – I think it was it was eight graduate transfers and seven seniors or vice versa. So, basically, you had 15 really veteran guys. And, and that's another reason why they were in Omaha because, you know, those guys were here for four or five years and they knew what it took eventually if they had the right coach to get there. So, you're going to lose those eight graduates – seniors and the problem with that is you're losing John Michael Bertrand your ace you're losing Austin Temple your number two starter so there's your your two starting you know best starting pitchers the guys that were slotted in Friday Saturday all year they're gone guys like Jared Miller at second base he's gone um, you know Carter Putz is a senior and I've been talking to some people he might come back so you have some seniors in that infield and outfield that might come back but you know Brooks Cosey also one of those guys that could come back but Ryan Cole is gone. Uh, Jack Brannigan might get drafted and say so long, even though he's a junior. So to answer your question, the head coach, whoever that may be, who, I don't know if he's going to be hired tomorrow. I don't know if he's going to be hired in two weeks. That guy doesn't even know what he's going to be inheriting. And obviously those are some of the conversations that that, that person is probably having with Jack Swarbrick because, hey, what, what am I taking over? What do you think is going to happen? But guess what? Jack Swarbrick doesn't know the answer to those questions either. So yeah. 
you're going to have to hope that, uh, you know, Rich Wallace and, and Chuck Rostano and obviously Link Jarek did a really phenomenal job coach, uh, recruiting. And th- there's a pretty solid recruiting class coming in, one that's on the fringe of a top 20 ranking according to Perfect Game. So hopefully most of those guys end up on campus and, and don't go to the minor leagues if they get drafted here in a couple weeks. And then you've got some young talent on campus as well. You know, Jack Finley is the surprise Boy. star of this team in the last month, and you hope that he can – turn into a, a Friday night starter. So there's some pieces in play, but there's also a lot of question marks looming about this team too. One more baseball question, then we'll move on to football. I guess, would you assume that the next head coach will not come from the Notre Dame coaching staff? Is that our best guess at this particular time? Yeah, I think the prime candidate, you know, and I, I put out, uh, six candidates as soon as Link Jarrett went to Florida State last Friday is someone who's established himself as a head coach at a mid-major school or a smaller school and has taken that team to the NCAA tournament a couple times and has won conference championships, you know, even if it is a smaller conference and has won Coach of the Year awards in that conference. Mm-hmm. Those are guys like Jordan Bissell at Central Michigan, Justin Hare at Campbell. Those are two guys who, whose teams I've actually – seen play in person I had the privilege of doing that while I was covering Mississippi State and you know I was wowed Mississippi State's probably the the mecca of college baseball and and those people were scared to have Bissell's team come in Hare's team come in so you're looking at guys like that but I also think you give you know Rich Wallace and Chuck Rostano who I just mentioned a chance I think it's likely that at least one of those guys follows uh, Link Jarrett down to Florida State, but Chuck Rosano has been here for 12 years. He was here for the whole Mikaoki experience, and then he was here for all three of Link Jarrett's years too. So, his wife is a softball coach at uh, an assistant softball coach at Notre Dame. So his family's entrenched in South Bend. I think that's the interesting piece. Uh, Rich Wallace, I think, is more likely to follow Link Jarrett, but I think he could be a candidate too. So to answer your question, yes, I think it's an external hire, but you've got to look at the internal guys too. Tyler, you had the chance to spend a little time with Notre Dame head football coach Marcus Freeman, and I know you're going to have a bunch of articles coming out. you got the Blue and Gold preview magazine that's going to be coming soon. So I just want to ask you about one thing in terms of injuries. You did ask Marcus about a couple of players and their status. I think a lot of people are interested to know where Logan Diggs stands right now, a player that was injured in the blue goal game, had the shoulder labrum surgery. Is there any chance at all we could see Diggs against Ohio State? I think there is a chance, but Marcus uh, you can kind of read body language. That's what I liked about being in the one-on-one setting. We were in his office. It was me and my coworker, Patrick Engel, and we asked him these questions about the injuries. He seemed cautious, cautiously optimistic, and that's what Patrick wrote in his article, that, yeah, there's a chance. Um, he, he labeled it as sometime in September, and obviously the Ohio State game is sometime in this September. So I don't know if it would be a case of, He's trying to rush back to make that game, and if that is the case, you probably don't want that to happen. You know, you wait for, I don't know, Cal maybe in the third game of the season is a good time to kind of get him some reps and up to speed before some of those tougher games you know, later on come around like BYU's. But, you know, if he's feeling good and Notre Dame thinks he's in a spot where he can contribute, 
in an environment like that against the top five team in the country, I think you put him in there, especially considering where this running back room is at without one of its scholarship players for the entire season and Jadarian Price, who went down with an Achilles injury last week. So let's look ahead to that first game from a running back perspective. Chris Tyree has been battling injuries the last calendar year, the turf toe in the second half of last year. Now, he had an ankle in the spring. I'm assuming, Tyler, if it's the football season, we're in game action, he probably plays. But you're cautious in the spring, but still, he was dealing with an ankle. Estime has had seven carries in his collegiate career, and the number three running back on the depth chart presumably could be a guy that just arrived on campus. So I'm just wondering your thoughts on what that running back depth chart might look like against Ohio State, and should fans be a little nervous about that running back depth chart going into Columbus? I'll answer your second question first, and it's yes. Absolutely, (laughs) they should be a little nervous. However, these are the same fans who we've, you know, we've heard for two years with Chris Tyree where it's like, oh, my goodness, we need to get this guy more involved. He needs to get the football. He's the fastest guy on the team. He can do things in space that nobody else on the team can do. Let's see what he's got. All right, Chris Tyree, let's see what you've got. You're the clear number one. You have by far the most experience of anyone who's going to be fully healthy in the running back room in that game. So, you know, all the talk since Logan Diggs replaced Chris Tyree when he had the turf toe injury last fall was, oh, man, when Kyron Williams is gone, I'm not sure if Chris Tyree is number one, if Logan Diggs is number one. Well, Logan Diggs is still going to be nursing a little bit of a recovery with that shoulder. So, Chris Tyree, you're number one. But then the the talk with these fans has also been, oh, my goodness, Audric Estime is a bowling ball on feet. Let's get this guy the ball and just let him run downhill it's like the perfect, you know, thunder and lightning type of compliment. And Chris Tyree is the lightning and Nodrick Estime is the thunder, obviously. So I think if you're just looking at those two guys from that perspective, it's, oh, man, these guys really complement each other really well. And, that, and, you know, in a perfect world, this is exactly what you want in a one-two running back punch. But you mentioned it. Estime only has seven carries in his career. Chris Tyree has been hampered by injuries for the last, you know, 12 months. We'll see what happens there. So, yes, absolutely, they should be nervous. But Jabron Payne, uh, welcome to Notre Dame. Uh, you kind of walked into a situation where you might be playing a whole lot more than you expected in year one, and sometimes it just works out that way. So we've been talking about the wide receivers and how low those numbers are, but the running back numbers are scary low, and that's all transpired in the last two or three months. See, I think, Tyler, this is – a situation where the injuries happen far enough away from the first game where you're going to have all fall camp for those guys to get the reps necessary to at least get them ready. So if you're going to have an injury, better now than in August. So I guess I'm trying to find a positive in all this. So those guys will have more reps probably than they expected once we get to fall camp. Just to add on to this running back room conversation, I think it affects a little bit of the Notre Dame game plan in the passing game because – My goodness, Tyler, we have seen what Chris Tyree can do catching the football and heck, Jadarian Price in the blue goal game. He had eight catches. So those are guys that could be used in the passing game. Price is out for the year with that Achilles rupture. But Tyree, it almost makes you wonder, can Tommy Reese use him as much as a wide receiver in formations than he wanted to or wants to because of the current situation in the running back room? 
Yeah, you really don't want your quarterback to have to throw the ball fifty, you know, forty or fifty times in his first career start, whether that's Tyler Buckner or Drew Pine. But Notre Dame might be in a situation where that has to happen. And football has evolved so much over the last ten years, where you know, forty or fifty passes, we see it all the time. And it's so those forty or fifty passes aren't drop back, heave it down the field. You know, there, there's RPOs, there's different ways to get the ball out quickly. I think we'll see that, and a lot of that has to do with Chris Tyree lining up in the slot, absolutely. Uh, you'll, even with this wide receiver room being what it is, you'll probably see some five wide, but five wide is going to include Chris Tyree in the slot, maybe lined up right next to Michael Mayer, who's basically playing wide receiver at that point. And at that point, you're, you're like, okay, yeah, we've got five options to throw the ball to, but one of them's a running back, and like I said, he's the fastest guy on the team. And another one is a tight end who might be the best tight end in the country. So I think Notre Dame still kind of likes the looks that it can throw at the opposition. But uh, this is all something that has to materialize rather quickly. I know they have all fall camp to get it done, but you kind of went into the year, you know, into spring ball thinking, and and Marcus Freeman said this himself, we're going to be a team that runs the ball really effectively, and that's going to be our MO. That's going to be number one. I don't know if you want to do that now because that's putting the ball in the hands of a guy who's been injured often the last 10, 12 months, and that's putting the ball in the hands of a guy who's only had the ball in his hands seven times in his college career. So absolutely, put Chris Tyree in the slot, do some creative things, run some you know, options with Chris Tyree and Tyler Buckner. I think that could be really effective. Tommy Reese is going to have to get creative. Absolutely. Hmm. I want to get to one more subject before we wrap up our conversation. I mentioned you had the chance to go one-on-one with Marcus Freeman this week, and I don't want you to give away good nuggets that you're going to have coming up at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, but tease our listeners a little bit. Give me a little something from the conversation that maybe caught your attention or you thought was fun and exciting. Well, just being in his office for the first time, you kind of – Everything that you think about him is reaffirmed. I mean, I don't know how big this portrait of his family on the day that he was introduced as Notre Dame head coach. I think everyone's seen the picture where he's standing at the 50-yard line of Notre Dame Stadium. And I think it snowed that day or it was frosty. It was cold. But the family, you know, looks warm as ever. And it's hanging right above his desk. And then on the opposite side of the room, you know, facing each other, there's six individual framed photos of his six children. So Mm. when you see them running around the field and, you know, he's always talking about them, that's real. I got the sense that that is real when I was in the office with him. So that was really cool. And then just another thing about it was I think some of the other beat writers, and I know for a fact, uh, you know, at least a couple of them had the same opportunity and it was timed. It was 30 minutes. You get to ask them whatever you want. Patrick and I were the last ones to go. So he had been through probably at least a couple hours of these and who knows what else he had to do that day. And he just, you know, when we walked in, shook our hands, said, let's do this, guys. Let's let's roll. Hit hit me with what you got. And, (laughs) you know, for everything that a head coach has to do in college football these days, for him to do that, and, you know, we asked him personnel questions. And then we asked him some, you know, more flowery questions about, you know, NIL and and tried to get him to open up his mind. And he was, you know, he was the same guy that, that you've always seen. So it was cool to see him that genuine in a setting where there's literally awesome. only four people in the room, Katie Lonergan being the other one. So Marcus Freeman is Marcus Freeman. That, that's all I got to say about that. 
Hmm. I'm not surprised that's the way he was. That's what I would have anticipated. Very, very cool to hear. And so I would assume in the coming weeks and leading up to the season, you're going to bring more of that information you got from Marcus to Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Yeah, absolutely. Everything that we've written so far from that, which I think is pushing 10 articles already, and it's only been 48 hours, so that just tells you what we're doing. Uh, It's been behind the paywall, but we are still running the $1 for 12 months of premium access. You cannot beat it. Uh, the, The season's only... Well, I think today was 66 days. I mean, wow. we're getting close to two two months here. So if you're a Notre Dame football fan, you absolutely have to sign up. It's only a dollar. We cover Notre Dame football like nobody else. Go to blueandgold.com. I think we actually sold out of the preview magazine, so I'm, I'm sad to say that. But that just shows all the interest that yep. everyone has in that. So Blue and Gold Illustrated is the place to be, whether it's print or online. Always great to talk to you, Tyler. Glad you had a great time in Omaha, and I'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Darren. Thank you so much. Tyler Horka does a terrific job covering the Fighting Irish, the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. It is now 29 minutes after 6 o'clock. I'm Darren Pritchett. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Tyler Horka wrapping up the Irish's stay in Omaha. What next season might look like. And of course, some Notre Dame football conversation. Now let's turn the tide to sports wagering here on the program. Darren Pritchett with you, 24 minutes in front of 7 o'clock. First pitch, South Bend Cubs at Beloit in one hour. Pre-game coverage starts at 7.20 on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. So on Monday, a rough return from vacation. Went one for three in my suggestions to you, so we needed a bounce-back Tuesday, and I would say we got the job done. Let's recap yesterday's suggestions on the program. They were all from Major League Baseball. We started at Wrigley Field as the Cubs took on the Cincinnati Reds, and I really like the Reds in this matchup behind Luis Castillo. Really bad April, last seven starts, a 327 ERA, much improved. I thought this was a good spot for the Reds to pick up a victory, so I took the Reds on the money line at plus 100. Heck, we can double our money if the Reds could beat the Cubs last night. It was 5 nothing Reds. Got a little interesting, but the Red Legs took care of business. Reds 5, Cubbies 3, so that was a good start to our night last night. Suggestion number two, I really like this one. As Valdez was pitching for the Astros, he's great on the road, taking on a Mets starter, Carrasco, who had been struggling the last few weeks. I thought this was the play of the night. In fact, you'll see why in my underdog pick in a moment. But I took the Astros on the money line at the Mets at minus 130. And it was a blowout in favor of the Astros. Houston beat the Metropolitans. 9-1, to so a 2-0 start to last evening. 
Next pick was the Rays and the Brewers down in Tampa Bay. I'm a big Shane Baz fan, a rookie right-hander for Tampa Bay. I think he is going to be a top-of-the-line rotation type guy. Taking on Brandon Woodruff, one of the best in the National League, but coming off the injury list, he had not pitched since May 27th, so I rolled the dice. I went with the Rays at home against a pitcher who had not pitched in a month. I took the Rays on the money line at minus 120. Did not work out as the Brewers took care of Tampa 5-3. to three. The fourth and final suggestion from last night's program, it was the San Diego Padres at the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks have been a good play early on in the Major League Baseball season. They got off to a really good start, highly competitive. And anytime Zach Galeen pitches, I like my chances with Arizona. He was on the mound last night. It was a coin flip game against Sean Manea and the Padres. But I took Galeen and the Diamondbacks on the money line at minus 110 to take down the Padres. It was a wild one, but it was a winning wild one. Diamondbacks, 7 Padres six. So three and one of my suggestions last night. So back to 500 for the week at four and four for the month of June, 21, 17 and one. And for the season now, 46, 34 and one. We also come up with an underdog pick. And this has to be a plus number to fall into the category of an underdog. So I told you I really liked the Astros over the Mets last night. I thought that was the play of the night. And I basically doubled down on that thought because my underdog pick was the Astros minus one and a half runs at plus 135 at the Mets. So the Astros had to win the game by two or more runs to win the wager. And it was a gimme. They won by eight. Astros over the Mets, nine to one. So... Underdog pick for the season now and nine. So let's get to today's suggestions here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. The odds courtesy of BetMGM. We start with an America League matchup. The Guardians and the Minnesota Twins playing in Cleveland. This is a toss-up game in the eyes of the odds makers. Cal Quantrill is on the mound for the Guardians. Dylan Bundy for the Twins. There are some pitchers in baseball when they pitch, I go with them. Shane McClanahan of Tampa Bay is one of those. There is some guys I always go against. Dylan Bundy is one of those guys, a former Oriole pitcher, now with Minnesota. So the Guardians are home taking on the first place Twins. I'm going to back Cal Quantrill and the Guardians. I'll take Cleveland on the money line to beat the Twins in Cleveland at minus 110. The second suggestion for tonight, we're going back to the Padres and the Diamondbacks in the desert. Mike Clevenger, a former Guardian pitcher who was out for a year with an injury. He is now back. He is taking on the old grump from Arizona, Madison Bumgarner. So with this particular matchup, I like Clevenger against the D-backs tonight. So I'm going Padres, a road favorite on the money line at the Diamondbacks and we'll take the Padres at minus 135. The third of four suggestions for tonight, we go back to Wrigley Field. The Reds and the Cubs are meeting once again. Reds are in last place in the National League Central. They're a game and a half behind the Cubs for fourth place. Reds won last night. Their bullpen is not very good. That's the concern when you think about taking 
Cincinnati from a wagering standpoint. Tonight, they're taking on the Cubbies. You've got a couple of young guys on the mound. Hunter Green, who was a member of the Dayton Dragons in the Midwest League and faced the South Bend Cubs. He is a hard thrower. He'll take on the former South Bend Cub left-hander, Justin Steele. Unfortunately, I love Justin. He was so cool to be around a Mississippi kid that loves Alabama football. Roll damn tide. But I just... As a starting pitcher at the major league level, he's had some good moments. I'm just not sure that's in his future. I think he might be better suited long-term in the bullpen. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he has great success in the majors. I'm just giving you my opinion. So I'm going to go with the Reds, even though their bullpen makes me awfully nervous. I'm going to go Reds again, road underdog. The Reds on the money line over the Cubs at plus 110. And the fourth and final suggestion for tonight, there aren't many options tonight. There are a lot of afternoon games, so I'm going to put together a two-team parlay. The number has to be below minus 150 in order to use it on the show. So I had to get creative. So two-team parlay. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the Dodgers on the money line at the Rockies. They have been scuffling the last couple of nights in Denver. I think they rebound behind Julio Urias tonight on the mound. Dodgers on the money line at the Rockies, coupled with their crosstown rival, the Angels on the money line to beat the White Sox in a wonderful matchup. Michael Kopech for the Sox, Shohei Otani for the Angels. This could be a classic 3-2 type game. But when you combine the Dodgers on the money line and the Angels on the money line, you get that parlay. At plus 131, I think separate, the Dodgers are minus 200, the Angels around minus 180. So the two-team parlay, Dodgers and Angels on the money line at plus 131. So the four suggestions for tonight, once again, Guardians on the money line against the Twins at minus 110, Padres on the money line at the D-backs at minus 135, Reds on the money line at the Cubs at plus 110, and a two-team parlay. Dodgers on the money line, Angels on the money line at plus 131. Now to our separate underdog pick of the night. And it's going to be the matchup in St. Louis. It is the Cardinals and the Marlins wrapping up their three-game series. St. Louis has won the first two. And they will face one of their former top prospects. Cardinals don't make many bad trades. This was a bad trade. Sandy Alcantara and the guy I talked about a moment ago from the D-backs, Zach Galeen, he went to the Miami Marlins, or they went to the Miami Marlins for Marcel Ozuna, and that did not work out very well. Two years of Ozuna did not hit well in St. Louis, while Alcantara right now, number one in the National League in ERA at 1.95. He looked awfully good in the Cardinal rotation. He'll face his former team tonight. He'll face Andre Pallante from UC Irvine, a fourth-round pick of the Redbirds a couple of years ago. He's a strike thrower, ERA just above two. So the Cardinals, a home underdog tonight, even though normally I ride Alcantara. I'm going to flip the script tonight with our underdog pick. Let's go with the Cardinals on the money line at plus 100 to beat the Marlins behind. A guy maybe you've not heard of, Andre Palante, he did face the Cubs. I guess it would have been game one last Friday. Gave up the two-run home run to Nico Horner, but otherwise pitched very well. So those are the picks for tonight. 
Are we going to Sizzler sports wagering segment? We'll recap the picks tomorrow and come up with some more suggestions on Thursday's program. 14 minutes in front of 7 o'clock. If you've been following this Freddie Freeman story, the former Brave first baseman, now with the Dodgers going back to Atlanta last weekend, very emotional, fired his agent. Now we know why. I'll tell you why in a moment. As Sportsbeat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Abby, thank you very much. Nine minutes in front of 7 o'clock. I'm Darren Pritchett. This is Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Wednesday evening on 960 AM WSBT. In about an hour and 10 minutes, 2024, four-star wide receiver Cam Williams from the state of Illinois will make his college choice. The expectation is he's going to join Marcus Freeman and the Fighting Irish football program. He's going to likely choose the Irish over Iowa, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, and Michigan. He would become the fifth Notre Dame football commitment in the class of 2024 and the first wide receiver. He is 6'2", 175 pounds. So that announcement coming up at 8 o'clock tonight. Well, if you're a Major League Baseball fan, this story has probably caught your attention over the last few days. On Friday, the Los Angeles Dodgers made their only trip to Georgia to take on the Atlanta Braves. On the Dodger team is Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman was drafted by the Atlanta Braves in the second round of the 2007 Major League Baseball draft out of El Modena High School in Orange, California. Freeman would make it to the majors at the age of 20 with the Braves in 2010, and he would stay with the Braves until the end of last year. The final out of the World Series, a Braves winner, turned out to be the final play in the career of Freddie Freeman in Atlanta, a place that he absolutely loved to play, a place in which he hit well over a 380 on base percentage in his career, close to a 300 hitter in his career in Atlanta, MVP candidate most years. I mean, this guy put together a great run in Atlanta. In fact, he won the MVP in 2020. Free agent after the season, right before Freeman signed with the Dodgers, Matt Olson was acquired by the Braves from the A's, another guy that has some ties to Georgia. And he became the new first baseman of the Atlanta Braves, and then soon after, Freeman signed with the Dodgers. Freeman, very emotional going back to Atlanta. You could tell he still wanted to be playing for the Braves and took the microphone at the ballpark and did, I think it was like a three-minute speech to the fans and in tears. Very emotional about coming back to Atlanta to play in front of a fan base that he truly loved. When the series was over Sunday, then all of a sudden we get the news that Freddie Freeman has fired his agent. Interesting timing considering he got a really good deal from the Dodgers after apparently the Brave situation didn't work out. He's back in California where he was born. But apparently his heart is not in Los Angeles. Doug Gottlieb, who you can hear On our airwaves, former Fighting Irish Guard, he tweeted this out just a little bit ago. 
Casey Close, who was Freddie Freeman's agent until he was fired a few days ago, never told Freddie Freeman about the Atlanta Braves' final offer. This is why Freeman fired him. He found this out in Atlanta this weekend. Now, Gottlieb does state it isn't that rare to have this happen in Major League Baseball, but it happened. And Casey Close knew Freddie would have taken the Atlanta deal. So that makes it sound like the agent, knowing he was going to make more money, possibly, or I guess he would have known. He knew the offer the Braves had given him. He knew what the Dodgers were offering. He didn't tell Freddie about the final Braves offer. He said, oh, here's your deal with the Dodgers. And I'm sure when Matt Olson got traded to the Braves, Freeman's like, all right, let's go. But the agent never told his client about the Braves deal. And now you know Freddie's heart is in Atlanta because fires his agent just like that. And now we find out why he never knew about the final offer. Boy, that is tough, tough news. Folks, have a wonderful evening. Cubs baseball in a moment or two on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 